Hello and welcome back to Mission 2819. I'm your host, Greg Vanetta. It's good to have you back listening here on Mission 2819. And uh, I'm looking forward to spending some more time with you today. On today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about um, why are some churches in competition against each other and what happens when one church starts talking bad about another one. Is that a biblical principle or value? Or are we all supposed to be working in the same kingdom uh, with the same missional values? So I look forward to spending some more time with you on Mission 2819. So have you ever been to a church that criticizes another church or says, um, you know, they're only seeker friendly or they're not preaching the real gospel and they're watering it down or, um, you know, we don't, we don't want to go there because, uh, you know, what we have going on here is plenty fine and everything's going good and going great. Uh, we don't have a need to, um, to help another church or, or, uh, you know, supply to their needs too. You know, it, um, this is something that I, I really want to say that it's not an issue, but it really is. It's really a big issue right now, especially for the modern church. And a lot of it honestly comes down to a competitive attitude and we'll get a little more into what that means here in a little bit, but you know, my question is why are, why are churches criticizing one another so much lately? And it seems like every, every article you read or even, um, some of the comments you see on a worship song on YouTube or a podcast that you listen to, there's such negative, um, comments going around and negativity and it's not really iron sharpening iron. It's uh, more just let's tear this down and uh, they're wrong and we're right kind of attitude. And, you know, as great as competition is, and we should be competitive, um, but it's the heart attitude and the heart posture during those times of competitiveness that the Lord really looks at. Um, he doesn't mind competitiveness, but the heart posture and attitude he sure does. And, uh, you know, think about this. The greatest form of competition is war. So why would the church be at war against one another? You know, that's something that really pushes a lot of people away from the church. And I could completely understand why, you know, somebody that doesn't believe wouldn't want to go to a church because, you know, they start seeing some of this stuff and they start seeing and hearing about churches working against one another when they should be working with one another, right? And uh, here's the thing. All believing churches, all gospel preaching churches, we have the same missional values, and uh, we're all in it for the same mission, and that's God's mission, right, and vision. And that's, uh, that is participating in the Great Commission, so we got to turn competition into uh, collaboration with one another and start 
working with one another in the kingdom with the same missional values. Because at the end of the day, every church's job is to connect people to Jesus, not just connect them to the local church and the community of that church, because then they're going to miss out, right? No. At the end of the day, the job is to connect people with Jesus and get them into the the community and the culture of the kingdom of God. And that's when you start seeing competition take over, or sorry, competition versus collaboration. It, It moves from one to the other. And that's where we start having healthy relationships. And then instead of a us versus them, it's a, hey, how can we work together to accomplish the same missional goal? So I'm going to read some verses to you. Uh, again, this is out of the NASB. Um, grab your Bible, read along, um, read the whole passage so you're not missing anything. And, uh, you know, check me on it too, because I know I'm not always right. And um, I'm, I'm just a human being, right? And uh, I know I have it wrong at times. So I uh, highly encourage you to keep um, ser- searching and um, seeking the scriptures too. Because I, I would never intentionally want to teach you anything that uh, isn't of God's word and isn't of truth. But, you know, being a human being, sometimes it definitely is unintentional, but it happens. So I just appreciate all of you um, and your understanding, too, and growing with me through this. So let's look at first Matthew sixteen eighteen, And I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. That's a pretty bold statement. But yet in that verse, I don't see anything with denominations or, you know, pastors being the head of the church. This is all about Jesus, right? Being the head of the church. So um, I think that at times um, leadership can be put up on a pedestal and it's not their fault a lot of times the congregations put church leadership up on a pedestal. And I tell you what, that's a really dangerous thing to, uh, to do to your church leadership. You should be praying for them, loving on them, supporting them, and helping them however you can. Because it's, it's a lonely position being uh, a church leader. Because, I mean, there's a lot at stake, right? And you want to continue developing and growing deeper in your faith. So... Just remember that. Be praying for your church leaders and love on them. Tell them how much you appreciate them, support them, walk alongside of them. And then we go to Matthew nine thirty-five through 38. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. Seeing the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So how many times has competition between churches disrupted sending out people to to work the harvest? I know I've seen that plenty of times um, just around this nation. And uh, it's actually very uh, heartbreaking to see that, that uh, competition can actually disrupt that and definitely a spiritual attack going on. And that's what the enemy wants. He doesn't want 
people to go out and um, work for the Lord and for the harvest. But, uh, yeah, yet even in verse 37 here, Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So Jesus is already telling us that, hey, here's a ripe harvest for you, but who's going to go out and do this? Who's going to work together in my kingdom to uh, have this missional value and goal and uh, participate in the Great Commission? So, again, this is a great, great, great example of competition versus collaboration. And, um, you know, the first verse here in verse 35 I think it also is important to see that Jesus proclaiming um, that he heals every disease and every sickness. Man cannot heal diseases and sickness. Only the Lord can. Yes, the Lord has given us gifts and uh, some good stuff with medicine and uh, and the medical field with being able to diagnose and, and help through that. But at the end of the day, none of that would even be possible without Jesus. So it is only because of him. All that stuff is good things. Uh, medicine, medication, um, being able to have a surgery if you need it. Yes, all that stuff is good things. But it comes from the Lord, not from man. Now we go to 1 Corinthians 3.9, and this is what it says. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Again, I see a community and culture of the kingdom of collaborating with one another. And that includes the churches, not just individuals, but the churches. It doesn't look like there's any separation of a denomination here, but one people uh, serving one God, one Lord, one Savior. And uh, all having the same missional values and goals. Now, another one here in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23, this is what it says, For though I am free from all people, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may gain more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might gain Jews to those who are under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being under the law myself, so that I might gain those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, I became as one without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might gain those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might gain the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that I may, by all means, save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. So how many times do we see that going on in the church today, especially the modern church? Um, boy, that one, that's kind of a sobering passage there. Um, to become all things to all people so that we can help um, in the process of them becoming saved. And we know that the Holy Spirit is the one that does that. But uh, we can be used as a vessel to go out and help people see Jesus Christ through our display of Jesus' character, virtue, and reputation and help you know fan the flame of the Holy Spirit and ignite that fire in them. Um, showing them what Jesus has done for us 
And uh, the thing is, a living testimony of what Jesus has done will speak so much louder than churches fighting and competing to win a lost soul. You know, just go out, let people see what Jesus has actually done in your life and how he has transformed you, and that will speak louder than most things. Now, I do see this as a... You know, this is a call to the body of Christ. So the church at large, um, doesn't matter what denomination, but the church at large, the follower of Jesus Christ, to uh, come together, to collaborate, to become all things to all people, so you can be a fellow partaker of the Great Commission. And um, that we're doing this for the sake of the gospel, to give God glory and honor, and that we can we can display his Son, to a lost world, and to a lost soul. I mean, this is why we're here. This is why the church is here, is to help in the harvest of the lost. And there's so many people that are lost that have questions, that are curious, um, that have good questions to ask. And it seems even that, you know, when was the last time, here's a question for you, when was the last time uh, you talked to a non-believer and all of a sudden you get you started getting a little frustrated about the conversation and what's going on and you start feeling a little uncomfortable because they're bringing up questions that may, I mean in some light, it may seem somebody says something blasphemous or against your moral values or against what you believe personally my question to you is why did you let that disrupt you and disrupt your peace that comes from the holy spirit because honestly those are good questions from lost people they're truly seeking an answer and they want to know the answer so that they can live a transformed life you know even in the church today even christians seem to um be offended by other Christians asking questions, which I'll never understand that. I'll never get that. But uh, I do know what happens. Well, here's the thing. People are asking questions not to condemn you, but maybe to help guide or direct you down a different path if something's not going so well. And, you know, offense can take place really easily in the heart, and it hardens the heart really quickly without any love or grace or mercy. And so we got to be careful about finding um, what, uh, what we find offensive and making, having that make our hearts hard because that could be a real big hindrance into our walk. And it could be, that could be the deciphering thing too with uh, getting off of milk and getting into meat. Now, one more, one more verse I want to share with you um, comes from 1 Corinthians 10.31, which says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all things for the glory of God. So back to the original question of why are churches in more competition than collaboration? And I know that's kind of a, I'm tying a, a bunch of stuff in here with this question from earlier on, but that, that is the main point of what we just covered. Why are churches 
oftentimes more in competition than collaboration. If uh, we're being taught in 1 Corinthians 10 31, therefore, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all things for the glory of God. Now, number one, we should all be eating and drinking of the bread of life and the living water, which is Jesus Christ, right? And his living word, which is uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? That's the source of all life. So scripture, source of all life. That's the bread of life and the water of life. We need to eat of it and we need to drink of it. So when we do that, we need to do that for the glory of God. But in a more practical sense, in our modern times, when we sit down, when we fellowship in community with one another, whether it's a small group, a community group, a family gathering, a special meal at church, whatever it is, whenever we sit down and break bread together, are we really doing it for the glory of God? And is that the real intention of why we're doing this, of breaking bread? That's something to really think about because if we're not, then we do it in vain and it's, that's not honorable at all. But if we're doing it for the glory of God, amen. And there's a reward in heaven for that. But that's also a good picture of collaboration versus competition because if we weren't doing it for the glory of God, whatever we eat or drink, then it becomes a competition. And then you start seeing people take more of one item than the other and and then somebody didn't get something, and then it's just chaos, right? Um, but when we do this for the glory of God, everything is in order because God is a God of order, not of chaos, but of order. So I challenge you to really think about that um, when it comes to um, just using a modern application of just sitting down. If you have a community group or a small group um, or a one-on-one discipling, um, time and you're sharing a meal or, or something like that, really think about why you're doing this and is it for the glory of God or is this, is a, is this a competition versus collaboration issue? So earlier we mentioned the most extreme form of competition, which is war. And, uh, you know, one of the things that when we're looking at that, is when we talk about an extreme version of competition being war, if churches are competing against one another, what does that mean? You know, most uh, most consequences of a war, the, the most severe consequence is people die, right? So what does this mean in the church life if churches are actually in competition and we look at it through the lens of being called a war. Well, that's actually, you could consider that um, being a competition for complete and total domination and uh, the wanting and yearning to be right all the time. And that's when you start getting other churches um, criticizing each other, saying, oh, this is a seeker-friendly one. Oh, this one sounds just like a lecture hall. Oh, this one's a fake um, fake Bible preaching church. Oh, this one does this. That one does that. And it just becomes a chaotic mess. So the most important thing is that it comes down to the heart, attitudes, and posture um, between churches. 
especially if they're going to start collaborating together. Are we doing it all things for the glory of God or are we doing it for man-made um, circumstances? Are we becoming all things to all people so that we can help participate in the great commission and go out and be a fellow partaker of the harvest? Um, are we allowing God to continue building his kingdom in the local church and in the church at large? Are we being fellow workers or are we working against God being insubordinate uh, with what he's given us responsibility over? And really, have we thought about how plentiful the harvest truly is? I mean, that should motivate all of us as followers and believers in Jesus Christ to go out and work in obedience, um, feeling compassion for all people and displaying mercy and unconditional love and grace. We are not to display wrath. Uh, that's, that's God's deal. Vengeance, that's God's deal, not ours. We're to display the character, virtue, and reputation of Jesus through mercy, grace, and unconditional love. God does the rest because the rest involves the human heart, which we can't we can't do anything about that. That's only God, and he works in the human heart through the Holy Spirit. So at at the end of all that, if we're going to participate in the Great Commission, how do we know that uh, the church is still going to go on, especially when churches are coming against each other right now, which it seems to be just ridiculous um, at this moment that there's so much criticism from one church to another. Well, we look back to Matthew sixteen eighteen, our first verse. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I think that's a pretty profound statement. And um, I highly encourage you to... Um, to look at this text and go into the historical and cultural setting of this text. Cause I wanted to give you, I wanted to give you the picture and the illustration of what's really taking place here. But, um, I want to encourage you to actually search this out yourself because something incredible is going on here. And, uh, Jesus is actually at this time standing on a physical rock, um, which would have been considered a gate of hell during that time. And, um, most people in the community around there said that it was a possessed place and that's where possessed people would go. That's where the, it would be kind of like a jail for a possessed person. And, uh, Jesus, um, took the opportunity to stand on that spot talking to Peter saying that the gates of Hades will not overpower the church. And, uh, he was making a very, very profound statement and proclamation that death has no grip on anybody and Hades will never ever when it's already been defeated because of what Jesus is getting ready to do with his death, resurrection and ascension. So I highly encourage you to go look at uh, the historical and the cultural text of this uh, specific verse because it will, it will blow your mind. And I tell you what, it will make you love Jesus so much more. Um, of what is really going on at that time. So if we truly believe that we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, just like Jesus said that the 
the gates of Hades will not prevail, then when are we going to start collaborating as church bodies locally and church at large? Because we need to get to that point if strongholds are going to be tore down, if we're going to truly fight the good fight, if the church at large is going to truly wear the armor of God as stated in Ephesians 6, when are we going to start collaborating with one another and working in the Great Commission because there is a plentiful harvest? Jesus told us there is. So I believe there is. I hope you believe that there's a plentiful harvest. And through that, we're going to see the kingdom of God, the culture and community of it, the way that we're supposed to be seeing it as believers here on earth. Because remember, what happens on earth has implications in heaven, and what happens in heaven has implications on earth. So we get the opportunity to see the kingdom of God here and now while we're alive on this earth. We don't have to wait. We get the beautiful treasured gift of seeing the kingdom of God here and now when we start participating in the Great Commission, collaborating with other bodies, other churches, and we continue to work with the same missional values and vision because that never changes. We may have some you know, secondary issues as churches that uh, we either agree on or disagree, but the same mission remains the same, and that's God's mission, not a local church um, and their secondary issues. We have to start understanding at large we are all in this for the same mission, and that is the mission of God. Not our own mission, not the human being mission, but God's mission. And I tell you what, I think you'd see a lot of healing within the church once um, once we all get on board and start working with the same missional values and visions um, with connecting people to Jesus. Now, we may have different methods in how we uh, connect people with Jesus, but the mission is the same, and that'll never change. And um, preaching the gospel of Jesus to the lost and dying and decaying world, that, that never changes. So I highly encourage you to be praying for your church leaders and for your local churches and for the church at large globally because I tell you what, I love the Lord. I hope you all love the Lord. And uh, there's nothing sweeter than telling the world about the good news of Jesus Christ and what he did and that people can have true freedom in him and no longer be a slave to sin. Thank you again for spending some time with me on Mission 2819. Remember to keep praying for your church leaders, your local churches, the church at large globally. Keep seeking, keep searching, keep knocking. Jesus is at the door. Just keep seeking him. Love one another unconditionally. Show mercy and grace towards one another. And continue praying for one another. And and continue praying for Mission 2819 as well. I really appreciate all your prayers, all of your support. I really appreciate all of you and being able to spend time with you. So thank you so much. And may this be an encouragement to you to continue going out and working in the Great Commission. I unconditionally love you all, and I wish you all 
biggest and best blessings. And may you always keep your eyes fixed upon the Lord.